welcome to Compelling Communicators, a podcast where we learn some golden communication truths from compelling communicators from wide-ranging fields, including teaching, mediation, youth work, mental health nursing, counseling, expressive arts modalities, and community development. In this episode, we meet Frank Handy, an experienced lawyer and alternative dispute resolution practitioner who uses his communication skills to mediate situations of high conflict. We learn from Frank how communication is about an exchange of energy and an integration of experience. Frank's core value of self-awareness guides him in communication practices that seek to understand others first and to know that the only change we can make is in ourselves, ultimately with possibilities of differences between us dissolving, so we are one together. Listen out for what whole person communication is made up of, discussions on the connection between self-awareness and self-regulation in integrating new perspectives, the power of validating others' experiences, what non-judgmental listening is made up of, including the silence in my head and where the card game analogy fits in, and why asking, is there anything else, could unlock parts of unexpressed ideas, critical to the exchange of ideas or energy in communication. Over to Frank to introduce himself. My name is uh, Frank Handy, and uh, I am currently the chair of the Independent Office for School Dispute Resolution. So what we do is work with complaints that have been through the entire state education department at uh, primary and secondary levels um, and not been resolved. And then they come to our office. Um, if, they're the pro if they're ones that are amenable to our work, then they come to our office and we try to help resolve complaints, typically by parents, about something that's happened in a school. So. Okay. And I know, because I know this about you, that you are, as you introduced yourself to me a little while back, a recovering lawyer. That's right. Recovering <laughs> litigator, I guess. The lawyer part was one, but recovering okay. litigator. That's right. So, um, And you're also an experienced uh, mediator. Is that how you describe yourself? Yeah. So I, um, I don't use the term mediation for the work I'm doing now. Um, but yeah, so I, I've practiced um, in dispute resolution, alternative dispute resolution, out of the legal system in about uh, starting in about 1994, mm -hmm. um, and have worked in alternative forms of re dispute resolution, so mediation, facilitation, arbitrate, a whole range of things like that um, since that time. So, in my company in Canada, my business partner and I formed the first law firm that had its focus as you know keeping people out of court and using alternative dispute resolution to resolve um, legal co conflicts, so. Thank you. Um, before we continue into, into a deeper dive around communication and, and where that fits into your practice is, your practices, um, yeah. can you tell us about a value that's really important to you in your life? Yeah, when you asked me that question, I was thinking, oh, well, there's all the standard ones, you know, like honesty and, you know, integrity and things like that, in a sense. And they think, well, but then I thought there's a, you know, I don't know if you want to really describe it as a value, but 
the thing I was thinking about is that really, um, in a sense, it's like Socrates, I guess, you know, it's self-awareness and self-examination, you know, are really the life's work uh, of everybody in a way, um, because my capacity to do my work more effectively and be better at and uh, help people more and help myself more is based on the continuing reflection on self you know, capacity. So I think the value that I've, you know, very late after many years of not realizing kind of come to is the sense of, you know, well, actually self-awareness is the kind of fundamental value that I have to work on and exercise all the time. So do you remember yeah. when that, became an understanding for you like oh self-awareness yeah let's do some of that well it's you know it's interesting because when i was in undergraduate you know i took philosophy as a minor in in undergraduate like a number of course philosophy courses um and you know it's it's this constant theme of philosophy you know how do we know what we know but i mean and there's various forms but it was always struck by that so it, but it was an intellectual concept at that time, you know, it wasn't really a life concept in a way. It was, oh, well, I could, you know, I can read about this philosopher and read that philosopher and learn a bunch of stuff in my head about it and things. Um, but I think as a, you know, as a, a way to live your life and having it as a foundation for practice was, you know, much later than that. And, and I think it it's, I think it's a bit like an onion. You kind of, oh, there's another layer of awareness, another layer of awareness. So, but defining it as self-awareness, I think, really became really, really clear for me um, not that long ago, like six, seven years ago, I guess, as, ah, this is the practice when I was in um, India. And um, my wife um, does a lot of work in yoga. And um, we went and I, I did this program there with this really great, tremendous yogi. Um, and it wasn't a yoga program, per se, but it was called... Uh, warriors of wisdom and there was just so many reflections on um you know the meaning of, of how you run th how you work through life and the, the meanings of how you live and participate in life and i think it became really crystallized as a not just an intellectual concept but as a an awareness and as a as a way of being um when i was doing that work so thank you let's take a a slight left and ask the question around what communication as a concept means to you. Um, I think well, um, that I ascribe to, um, you know, it's partly a yoga philosophy, but, but in kind of Western scientific terms, it's, I think communication is exchanges of energy. So, and there's a you know, guy named Dan Siegel, Mindsight, the Mindsight Institute, things, and, and his work on interpersonal neurobiology and things. And I really, I think his models of communication and discussion are, are really, I think they're so, one, clear, and two, so effective. And I think that, you know, his base idea is, you know, the exchange of, of energy and the integration of experience. That's really what communication is, you know, so... Um, and the self-awareness piece, of course, is that the distinction between self and other eventually disappears if you exchange energy effectively and efficiently. So, go. So. I like the effectively so. and efficiently. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, so that's no, the sorry, hope in the theory. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of wasted energy and a lot of, you know, kind of, you know, difficult energy or, you know, barrier energy or rigid or chaotic energy, you know, that, that is a whole range of things. But I think, 
communication at its at its deepest is this is an exchange so and there's so many ways beyond you know we think of communication too often i think is what are the words i'm using or what's the concept that i'm trying to kind of put across and things but but it's actually this a combination of all that and the communication that's really effective is the communication that's whole person communication like where you're getting the feeling the emotional content the the framework the perception the narrative the you know that whole set of who is this person presented to another person how are they exchanging their energies in a conversation right so and that's uh, really interesting to analyze and i'm going to ask you to analyze it a bit further for 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 a concrete perspective on it and that question around the communication tools and strategies if you were to break down the exchange of energy and the whole person um situation that communication is in my that's a reasonably yeah. prosaic <laughs> paraphrase yeah. what would you think what are the top tools or strategies or approaches that you approach in your communication with that exchange of energy concept well i think see if we if we go to exchange of energy then we go to the second part of what seagulls you know and that's the flow where is the flow right so and so you receive you know you flow and then you're and and you expand energy right so it, it's um and in my you know in this in the sense of work and things i've got two kind of basic tasks in my work and one of them is the task of helping people resolve a conflict right so so my energy goes into that system right so and in putting my energy into the system what i'm trying to do is help people expand you know i amplify the energy of one group maybe or one person in a situation and you know help them uh express or try to get to the the root of what are they trying to express to the other person and how is that received you know you might try and help them develop a different narrative about how they see the situation so they can take the energy of the system in a different way and not react to it or fight with it but learn to work with it or um and the other piece of all that work and and where I take it into more the you know the work of Ananji, this you know the guru from India stuff is that you know there's an integration piece in all that because the energy fighting with energy you know is is not you know that a clash of energies, but if you integrate effectively, then you've got actually stable energy, right? It's not you know it's a whole, it's a, it's complete, right? So and um, and what Siegel talks about again is the idea of saying you've got a system, and his and his description of systems, you know, that are effective are he uses the acronym FACES. So it's you know, um, flexible, adaptive, coherent, energized, and stable. Right? You see, so it's got it's full of energy. It's got energy in it, right? But it's not energy that's destructive or breaking, or it's it's energy that helps contribute to something new that emerges. And that's integration. So if we do that well, and so people who are fighting about something, a complaint about, they reach a new, a new position where the energy gets refocused mm -hmm. through communication and it gets focused into addressing or helping or mm -hmm. supporting the student or resolving the problem and seeing it differently, right? So and and yeah. responding to it differently. So and 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 for those of us that have been in 
conflictual situations as yeah. facilitators or mediators yeah. or whatever our role is, the neutral person in the in the setting, yeah. for want of a better word. And that integration of energy has happened. However, it has happened. And I'm going to dive a bit deeper into that and see how we can articulate that for the listener. Um, we recognize that shift. Yeah. There's a lightning, there's yeah. an opening, there's um, a, a feeling of acceptance in the space and a new new understandings, yeah. as you say. Um, and boy, is that difficult to get to. Um, and what I understand, and I'd like to hear your thoughts to, to expand on them, is that so certainly what I understand about the mediation process as a structure is that we we're, we are, and I was about to say simply, there's nothing simple about it, getting people to share their perspectives, which of course are stories and narratives of you, as you talk about, and then supporting the other person to clarify what they've heard, paraphrase back, possibly ask questions if that's possible, but where a greater understanding of each other's perspectives becomes evident and then together there's some moving into a shared perspective um that's what i understand a process where energy can become integrated is that yeah. your understanding of how it happens like yeah and i um and i think that i mean some you know you work on some examples that, that are you know quite obvious oh i didn't know that now i know that this, yeah wow right. changes everything right so that's you know right. and um and often I, I use the example of you're driving down the road, you get cut off by somebody and you get angry and frustrated, upset. Then you look in the car and you realize it's your mother driving <laughs> the other car and you go, oh, well, you know, I still had all the pain. I still had all the nervousness, and but now I've got a different sense of intention. You know, that person wasn't intending to cut me off or hurt me or things like that. So, and the interesting thing about that is that bit of information doesn't, isn't, you know, the other person doesn't change. The other person that it's I shift my perspective, my narrative, my understanding of the situation. And so, and therefore, I'm open to a different perspective or different understanding for somebody else. And so, so it's I don't see kind of mediation and communication as um, creating that change. It creates the opportunity for a person to change themselves. And that, you know, that so, and that, so the shift, so the integration means that, oh, well, I'm dropping that bit of this bit of the story. So it's no longer a conflict for me, right? So I'm accepting the difference that I see in you from me, you know, and understanding your perspective. And so that conflict is so, so the integration piece is in me mm-hmm. and that integrated self then participates differently, participates more effectively. Right? So. Oh. Yeah. Interesting, and so. that comes back to your value of self-awareness. Yeah, and that's right. That you're you support in your own life, so you're yeah. seeking to support other people to do that. Yeah, because um, yeah, nobody. I mean, you, you, if you don't, I think if you don't see it that way, then you get into the piece about oh, you made me do this. You know, mm-hmm. you made me commit, you, and you end up not being responsible for self. Right. So, but the self-awareness creates the capacity for the self-regulation because the conflict disappears. And that creates the capacity for acceptance of differences. And then that ex- creates the possibility for, um, uh, you know, maintaining a relationship yeah. despite the differences in perception of, you know, and then finally, you know, the integration of that into saying, well, I've got a wider perspective and a whole, so I don't have that conflict anymore. Right. Yeah. So, so, so I hear that you're encouraging that, that one of the skills is to encourage people to self-regulate. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, and and um, you know, and the self-regulation is the, is the 
you know, there's so much in the work that I do where people are trying to say, oh, it's someone else's fault. It's someone else's responsibility. Right. Someone, you know, say, and and um, uh, what we, what I try to help build with communication is a sense of, uh, well, I'm actually responsible for how I feel about this situation. You know. So building self-responsibility. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it's, it's funny because I think this, um, you know, I think, again, these ideas come out of, you know, they're not ideas that I came up with. They're not unique to me or anything, but there's, there's so, there's so many of these philosophies of, you know, your awareness, build, the greater your awareness, the less troubled you are, you know, and the less you spend time fighting with things that you can't, you know, oh, I don't accept that or that's wrong. And you say, well, you know, the world is, it is as it is. And you say, well, I accept it as it is. And those things that I want to work on or change about myself or work, or those are my ego talking yeah. about those things, right? So, so in communicating, when I say to somebody, you really should do that differently because you're really, you know, I say, that's not that person's view or idea or opportunity. That's my view, you know, so, and so much of the work I see is, you know, so in schools or parents or whatever, that's, you know, they're, they're trying to change something else. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to change the way the school looks at my child, right? So I'm trying to change the way this parent responds to me. I'm trying to change the system, change it. Say, and, you know, and those are all worthy goals at an intellectual level, you say, yeah. but how I respond to them inside me is far more critical to how I will help resolve those or build or change or adjust than the th than the situation itself. Right. So you're talking about this the the unhelpful strategies of projection. Yeah. It's nothing to do with me. It's all if you change, it will be all yeah. okay. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We see around us all the time and we're yeah. all guilty of that, you know, yeah. innumerable times a day. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Becoming aware of it and attempting mm. to move back to that position of the only thing we can change is ourselves. Yeah. Um and releasing um the additional burden of wishing to fix other people. Yeah. yeah. And the second part of that, I think, is the idea of saying that it's the things that really bother me are really good clues for me about where I need to work. Yeah, that's you right. Know, you know, there's real lessons in that. And, and, and so how we communicate about all those things, you know, go back to, you know, we say, if, if I build my communication strategy based on a projection, I'm never going to be successful. And you say, Oh, you need to do this. You did. So, so a huge part of the communication strategies and approaches for me are first say, okay, well, I need to understand where you're coming from and how you see and what's the, so, so I think the fundamental skill of communication is actually listening. It's not talking, it's, you know, it's hearing, you know, gee, what's going on for this person? And let me be curious about that. And let me not be judgmental about that. And let me not, you know, and when I have a strong reaction to that, gee, that's something I need to look at in myself about that. Not you need to, Hey, you need to buck up over there, right? You know, so, so when somebody says something and I get a real strong charge or reaction out of it, I go, "Whoa, what's you know what's that about me and my response to that that I need to examine in this situation?" Right? So, do you um, do you ask? I'm trying to think of the right way of expressing it with 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 people that you're working with who are in conflict, yeah. and you notice a charge in them. Do you do you name that charge? Yeah, quite. Yeah, I mean, um, I notice it. Yeah, and this is you know this is, now we're moving into kind of the process psychology idea of of you know and um, you know the secondary you know it's, so somebody has some really strong reaction, 
and I won't name it in the sense of, oh, you're feeling this way or something, but I'd say, gee, I notice a really strong reaction in that. What's going on for you now? Where, you know, t you tell me about that. Where's, where's that coming from? Or where do you think, you know, how, why do you think you felt so strongly about that situation or something? And, right. and when you ask that question, how does the energy shift with the other person? Um, well, I think you get, there's two or three different responses. And one is, you know, and that means that person is near some edge about how they see the world, right? So, so sometimes you get a lot of resistance, you know, a lot of, you know, though um, I was talking to a friend of mine and resistance isn't the right word, I think, because that, oh, that's also a judgment. You know, you're resisting what's good for you. Kind of thing. So, um, but you'll notice a, a, a strong anti-reaction, you know, like, oh, I'm not going there. I don't want to talk about it or, you know, um, and Siegel has the, you know, the rigidity or chaos, you know, you're, if you're not integrating that information, then you're, you'll either, oh, well, that's, that's a non-negotiable. I'm never going to, you know, that's, I don't care. That's what I live by. Those, you know, there's that kind of response or reaction or the chaotic. I don't know what you're talking about. You know, this is us and blah, 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 blah. Right. So, you get a huge range of stuff back there, you know, back on both sides. If you get somebody who is, you know, I think has a higher level of self-awareness and you note it, then what they start to do is investigate and reflect on it. Right? So, and if they do the investigation reflection, then that changes the energy because they're, what they say is, oh, well, I'm going to actually hold this mirror up to me and have a look at this. Or so I'm going to stop blaming the other person. I'm going to see why this is important. And so, and so it's really actually calming in the situation because it's not a projection anymore, but it's not out there. But the people who reject the noting, they'd say, okay, well, that you know, they're not ready yet. They're they're not at the end. So you'd back off a little bit. You step back until they're you know they reapproach that edge or that you know come back to it. So. And and what is very tempting to do when somebody is at the edge and you think, oh, there could be a breakthrough here yeah, if I just yeah. push a little bit further, we might just reach the point of enlightenment. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Which, of course, is not our job to do. Um, and so what I'm hearing from you is we back off. Yeah. Um, and in general, we're providing space and opportunity for the person to respond in a way that they are ready to. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think it, especially in conflict situations, you have to work from where people are, where not where the other person thinks they should be, right, or where I think they should be. And, you know, and there's a real danger in that about, you know, being a savior and end up in, in, in the, you know, the victim triangle or whatever. But, um, but I think um, you want to help people stay as close to the edge as they can. Oh, interesting. You know, in the sense of you say, but you, you never, you don't want to push anybody over because that's, that's my ego to doing that. Not, you know, that's my projection. That's right. oh, that's you should your... go here. You should do that. Here's that's the breakthrough that I'm looking for. Right. So, um, but in that, so you notice that happening and you say, okay, well, here's where we are. Where do you want to go with that? Boy, this really seems to be upsetting you or frustrating you or bothering you. There's something you, is it, do you want to talk about that more? Or, you know, what are you seeing? Can you reflect on that? And, the, but if you push them over, they'll just flop back, right? They, they won't stay there. They won't, and they won't work or learn from that. They'll just feel hurt, right? They'll be damaged by that. So, so what you want to create is the space for them to say, oh, I feel safe. I feel comfortable. I can see this is something that is bothering, annoying. And, and there's a flip side too. It may be really attractive to them. It, it's a sense of, oh, I can't, um, something like, um, I wish I could speak like that, but I can't. You know, I wish I could be honest in these situations, but I can't. 
I wish I could tell that person what I really think, but I can't. Right. So, so that's the attractive part of the disturbance as well. You know, I don't have the, I don't feel I have the capacity or the skill or the ability or the knowledge or whatever. And I could never say that. Right. Say, I'm just not that kind of person. You know, I don't, I don't speak well in public or, you know, any of those types of things. That's, that's the, another version of the disturber, right? The disturber is, Oh, I hate, I hate that person. I hate that. That's awful. It's terrible. I would never be like that. <clears throat> and there's something in that that you actually have to learn about yourself when you say that. But the flip side is, oh, I wish I could be that way, is also something about yourself you have to learn, right? So, so there's a whole you know spectrum of responses. And the key thing that you're noting in these situations is, boy, there's a really strong response in there. That's the edge. Where is you know where's that going, and what does that person have to take out of that or learn out of that, or you know mm -hmm. where how can I help support that, you know. How, is there a voice in there that needs to be that needs to be brought out for this person's self knowledge? You know, is there some story they're telling themselves, telling themselves that they're not actually exposing in this situation because they don't feel uh, ready to say it or or able to say it or they don't recognize it themselves or what you know, whatever that is. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try to define it, you know, because that's my that's me saying, oh, I think you're this that so, but. But if you push somebody over the edge, <clears throat> it's just damaging, right? So, but yeah. if you help somebody stay at the edge so they can look and decide whether to go, then they can decide whether to go. I mean, I think there's a number of <clears throat> uh, kind of formal ways I try to create safety with process. You know, that's like, a, so at a kind of, and especially if you don't know somebody, you don't, you have, you know, and you're starting to work with them, you don't know where they're coming from, what their experience is, what they, so, so I do a lot of formal things in when I first start to talk to people. I say, you know, this is my office. This is what we do. There's my, I said, um, the voluntariness is really critical. You know, you don't want to work with me. You don't have to. You say, um, I'm very clear about, um, you know, I don't make decisions for you. It's up to you. You've got agency. You know, you've got, so it's a whole range of things that I try to address about the process that they'll be entering into um, to create like a formal sense of safety, right? So, um, and in that formal sense of safety, I think, you know, there's lots of opportunities for them to step away. There's opportunities for them to, you know, create, um, you know, to push back, to do everything. I and, and I, and then once you start the conversation, I think there's also a huge amount of checking in. Mm. Is this comfortable? Do you, are you feeling okay with this? Do you, you know, it's, um, I'm not, I'm looking for signs or, or things about discomfort or, you know, people stepping away or um, all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, but then the third thing is, of course, if I, you know, I can't say all that stuff and then act differently. Right. So I can't say, oh yeah, it's all safe and say, boy, you really made a big mistake there, didn't you? Boom. <laughs> you know, so, so um, and so there's this constant attempt on my part to say, okay, well, I, and this is a self-awareness. I need to model this because, because I deal with a lot of situations where um, there's a lot of judgments on all sides about what's right and what's wrong, and people want them. You know, they, they want you on their side, and they want you to agree with them. Or you know, so there's a lot of work in that space for me about saying I need to make sure that I'm not in your system, like participating in your system. I need to have so I need a bit of distance myself and a bit of space myself. I. I have a coach that I speak with every month to say, you know, how do I, how's my practice going? And I'm like, and boy, this one really got me, you know, what, um, what do I need to learn about that? And how can I reflect on developing that? So, and then in conversation with everybody, there's always, you know, the, the, um, 
you know, the observation first. Am I seeing anything? Am I noting anything about how their energy is? This is why I say at the base of all, it's all energy and information flow, right? So it's it's this flow of energy. Has it stopped? Is it still coming? Are they participating? Where, you know, where's the energy feel in the moment? Like, what am I noting about how yeah. they are? And um, and in building that, and then it's say, um, and I and this this is an area where I, I actually need to do, after all these years, even more work is that I'm, I'm, unfortunately very comfortable with high conflict (laughs) so and so you know i'll sometimes i'll finish something and and step out and someone will say boy that guy that was really scary for me and i go oh really i you know because Mm. it wasn't scary for me like the high emotion isn't scary for me or that you know people being upset or angry or frustrated isn't scary for me but but um and the, the trouble with that you know, that either skill or competence or capacity or experience with that habituation or something, there's some level at which you go, gee, I, I have to remember that this is a new experience for these people at this level and I need to be even more aware, right? So um, so there's, but there's, in all that, then I, what I try to do, of course, is model, you know, I'm try, always trying to model and say, okay, well, in this case, let me be open. If somebody gets mad at me and says I'm doing the wrong thing, well, I need to be open to hear that. I need to take that on. I need to not be defensive about that. I need to understand whether there's there's something in that that's, you know, because um, I need to show that person that it's okay to be critical. It's okay to have a, a view. It's okay to have a concern. It's okay to, you know, to put your views on the table because there won't be judgment about it, right? So, because um, that's the place we have to start. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to circle back a little bit to ask you how you learned to communicate in the way that you do and and communicate is to to be the way that you are in the work that you do. And of course, we know that you'll have had formal legal training. Love to hear whether that made any difference (laughs) at all. Um, And of course, it's a lifelong journey, as you've already talked about. Tell us more about what you think the most impactful sort of teaching opportunities or learning opportunities for you have been to get to this point. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, legal training was really valuable for me. I mean, it was a very, um, and I actually really enjoyed my legal practice when I was doing it. It was, you know, um, in the sense of um, there's a really high set of skills in there and a really strong um, set of um, intellectual tools that are really important you know so and um the challenge for me wasn't the work like i you know i i used to do a lot of administrative law hearings with expert witnesses and things and you know so it was a really um really invigorating intellectual challenge to cross-examine an expert witness and get them to say oh yeah i was wrong (laughs) right or um, you know or gee yes um you know a different outcome might be you know might be um appropriate given those assumptions that say, you know, and, and, um, but of course that's, that's a secondary level about proving a case. It's not, it's not a piece about, um, what's the right answer for this problem that we're faced with, which is, you know, in, in my case, I did a lot of environmental law and, you know, development and, you know, working with projects that had impacts on people and a lot of work on, uh, with, you know, people who were, engaged with an an administrative system in a negative way, you know, like, you know, had been, um, you know, uh, their employment insurance had been, uh, had been discontinued, for instance, right? They say, okay, so, 
here's the expert witness who says this or the witness who says this is what the rules are and I've cross-examined the industry, but and you win or lose, you lose the fight. This person doesn't have money. Right? This person doesn't. Have, right? So, so it's a dread. It's kind of a secondary level about, um, for me, uh, not the experience of this person to go through this process. So, and there's a number of problems for which you know a litigious, you know, administrative hearing approach is not going to come up with a good answer. You know, it's going to come up with one answer or the other. You know, which is the yes answer or the no answer, but it's you know, there's there's not so, so when I was doing the work, when I I was noting that, you know, and and I'd say so, I'd start to say to clients, look, you know, why do we want to have a hearing? You know, you've got a project here. Why don't we have a conversation with all the neighbors and people and talk about what's, you know, yeah. what would help them feel comfortable and what would they think would be and, you know, and and there would, you know, there would always be a, a group of people who would say, look, this is my concern. How can it be addressed? And so we'd have conversation, and then so you're shifting the energy into solving the problem, right? So, and that wasn't be everybody. And then some people would say, I hate this thing no matter what. And other people would say, you do it no matter what. I don't care about the impact on me. Or, so, so a huge range of responses, right? So, because, and they'd say, oh, well, if, if I've got that next door, my property value will go up, you know, or something. And they say, so I don't care what you do. Go ahead, do your, do your worst, right? So, and other people would say, oh, there'll be more traffic. So I want, I don't want that there no matter what, right? So, you know, that's just an example. But I also did a lot of work in um, agriculture. I did a lot of work in, um, you know, industrial relations with people fighting with their employers or things. And so, and um, it answers, you know, the litigation system answers certain types of questions very well, right? And lots of the questions that I was dealing with, administrative hearings would, weren't a good answer. Mm. And so I started to move into what are the other ways we can address these problems? And moved into conversations and then I did a master's in um, alternative dispute resolution and started to work towards, okay, I don't want to take that role anymore because, you know, I want to have a different kind of conversation. Right. So, but the awareness and the skill and the training about that kind of the litigation conversation was absolutely critical to understand what a different form of communication could look like. Right. So, and, and how it would work and why, why was it different? But, I, there are some who seem to be able to manage a practice as mediators and barristers or whatever. But, but for me, it was saying, well, no, if I'm going to be one of these, you know, um, and this one feels like a set of skills, the other one feels like a way of being, right? There you go. Yeah. And so the set of skills is, you know, how do I get people to answer the question the way I want them to, or how do I get them to the point where when they say yes, they really mean no, you know, or something like that, you know, and those, and that's not, that's not actually a critical, like with an, with an expert witness, you know, you create a framework and you create a set of boundaries and, and they've said yes, and then you walk all the way through, then the conclusion has to be no, whether they say yes or no, right? So, and they say yes to protect their ego or their, their, as as opposed to well actually knows the correct answer in that framework right so but um but that is the that's the point of that as a process right is to say ah oh, i need to present and create the evidence in the mind of the adjudicator that is favorable to my client right so um and uh and again that um Lawyers are really helpful in mediations a lot of the time. You know, it's a very because they've got a good, strong sense of where the thing would end up if it went to court. They've got good skills. They understand. They can help manage their clients. So, you know, I'm I'm, I'm not being critical of the legal profession or lawyers at all. I think there's a really mm. important role and place and how it fits. You say, but for me, 
the piece about what I wanted to participate in was not in that process. I wanted to participate in how do we solve this problem yeah. in a way that all of us can be participants, you know. And, yeah, and, and yeah. maybe proud of the outcome. Yeah, yeah, um, that's right. I hear that you're interested in building consensus rather than achieving binary outcomes. Yeah, yeah, and, and there's so many places where the binary outcome is, you know, um, the binary outcome doesn't address the legitimate concerns of, you know, yeah. the, the group, right? So yeah. um, it sort and, of misses it, misses yeah. the field type. Yeah, that's right. So um, that's right, and we've had we've so we've we've had a couple of other um, trained lawyers on on the podcast as well, and it's really interesting to get to get different perspectives. Yeah. Um, so, so thank you for going through that. That's uh, fascinating. I have a, a follow-up question, which is around a memory that you have of where you had a breakthrough in your skills that you realized, yep, I've got this, or that maybe you, it was the, this is the way of being that I want to, yeah. to, to experience. Um, do you have a memory? Well, it's funny. I mean, there's a, there's a long, I think there's, um, Maybe I'm a bit slow. It's a long, long, you know, it's long process of getting to say, ah, oh, gee, that worked, you know, that sort of, sort of thing. So, but um, you know, but oddly enough, I, like I remember, I I did some work on. I was on the VCAT mediation panel for a period of time, and there was one case which was a family, and it was you know ostensibly purely a property case about who owned a house, right? So, you know, but. Um, it was a, a brother and sister and, you know, he'd done all kinds of renovations and, all, and there was a whole range of things that, uh, you know, obviously won't mention any names and won't go through the details of, but, but there was a point at which, you know, I, I looked at the brother and, and, um, and I said, boy, you know, you've, you've just done so much work on this, you know, on this house and caring for your mother and those, so, I said, it must be really frustrating for you not to have your sister acknowledge that, you know, because I can see from what you've said how important all that was. And and he, you know, guy had been fighting and arguing and, you know, really like angry about the whole situation, how unjust it was and everything. You know, he burst into tears, basically. right? And he said, yeah, thank you for noticing. I'll sign the papers, you know, like. <laughs> You know, and it was like, and it was a really, and they said, boy, that bit of listening, that, you know, say, look, here's, I see you, I hear you. Um, I think this is what you're saying. Did I get that right? Have you, you know, is that what, and that tiny, tiny bit of acknowledgement, which he had never received from his family, you know, said, and he said, look, you know, I said, I'm done. done. Yeah, that's, that's what I needed. Thank you. Right. So, and you think, yeah, so, wow. You know, and in, in an odd sense, I guess I go, okay, well, um, yes, I had the skill in that moment or whatever to see and, and to hear, but, you know, I didn't do anything except just notice him, you know, and he, you know, he just, that huge, huge change in that moment. Yeah, that's what he okay. needed in that moment. So. so the role of validating people yeah. is yeah. absolutely mission critical. We all need to be seen and heard and valued. Yeah. What you were able to do in that moment is make a, a decision that that was important and yeah. the result was phenomenal. Yeah. Um, is there somebody in that that you have followed the? You've talked about uh, several yeah. 
people um, who are impactful communicators. Yeah. Are they the, the people that guide you or are there other other examples of people living in, in your life that you yeah. emulate or you enjoy listening to? Yeah. So I, I, you know, when I was, when you were, I looked at this question, I was thinking, oh, well, there's Ananji, there's uh, Dan Siegel, there's, you know, and then I thought, wait a second. These are all professionals at this, and they are exceptional, and they're really great. You know, they're tremendous. But then I thought, there's a guy named Steve Poltz. I don't know if you know him, but he's a he's a musician, right? So, and um, he he's got to be the greatest communicator I've ever seen. And you know, if um, if you can look at him on YouTube, you get a chance to see him. And he's you know, he actually was born in Canada, but grew up and lived in California. And he's got a real California, like, accent, and he's, you know, blonde hair and stuff, so, and he's, I guess his most famous song he wrote um, with Jewel, you know, the um, You Belong to Me, I, you know, that one, um, so, but he does the folk festivals and things, he said, but he tells stories about his life and experience, and, and, and you know, <laughs> I was at the uh, Port Ferry Music Festival, and he was performing, and, you know, he, he'll he'll come to the audience with an idea, and he'll make up a song for you, and things like this, you know, so, but, but he tells these stories, and he gets, and we got, and there must have been 2,000 people in this audience, and so, at least, you know, because he builds a big tent, and he's got us all howling like dogs, <laughs> and yeah. laughing, and crying, and everything, and it's just, like, it's just phenomenal at his capacity to connect all that energy. And that thing about energy is, yeah. you know, the energy of that room, and that group was so, and so you're, you know, you're howling like a dog with 2000 other people and not feeling ashamed or nervous or, or uh, upset. Or feeling better for it. Let's be oh, honest. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> this, this, is, this is totally okay. This is exactly how it should be. You know, this is what, and we're all doing this together. And it, like, but his capacity to connect people to his humanity was, is just astounding. And I've seen him at a couple of other venues and things like that. And, you know, yeah. he's really an exceptional. And so as a communicator in the sense of someone who gathers and focuses and, you know, returns energy and, and, and you left that thing feeling completely, you know, at one with that group and, you know, completely um, uplifted. Right. So it was, so, it was really amazing. So. so maybe the best communicators are the, are connectors. They yeah. connect yeah. people together. And I think that's that, that, that sharing of energetic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, juice. Yeah. Um, as we're bringing, and I'd say the, I, I would say integrators. That's the you know integrators. So, yeah. So mm -hmm. because it's the idea of saying you know it, it's we're not as connected. We were one. Like this, you know. That's you get this sense of you know. So it's there's the boundary disappears. If you're integrated, you don't have a boundary in there anymore. It's just that you know sense of oneness, right? So love it. Um, thank you for bringing the role of performers into the discussion because it is a really important um, consideration. Yeah, because yeah. we do see people perform in different ways that um, that are so inspiring and energizing. Yeah. Um, as we bring our discussion to a close, um, I'm going to ask you a very uh, silly question, but nonetheless one that reveals quite some interesting answers. And it's silly <laughs> because it's so broad. Yes. Is there a golden truth of communication that you, if somebody was to say, Frank, tell me, tell me how to communicate, you would say, well, this is my one golden truth. <laughs> what would you say? Um, yeah, I, I think that, 
I think that my golden truth is that is um, that it all starts with listening. You know, I think it really you've got to listen more than anything else to communicate. Like, um, you know, the other the flip side of my work is I do a lot of you know trying to build capacity in people in the department, things like that, and and um, you know, so I do a lot of training work. So I do a lot of the talking in those spaces and say, but. But my goal in all that is to, well, let's have, make sure we have a conversation. It's not one way. It's, you know, what are your concerns and how, what's important to you and how do you, and it's a bit harder in that space because people are looking for skills. But, but I, th I find the time when I'm most successful at that is when people have said, I've got this problem or challenge or whatever. And so, you know, my goal is to take what's important to them and work with that, not say, oh, well, here, you need to learn what I'm trying to teach you, right? So, so even in that framework where there's a more formal structure where people are expecting information or expecting, you know, kind of um, examples and concrete and tools and all that kind of stuff, it's, if it's not a dialogue, it still doesn't work, right? And so the listening piece, I think, is the foundation to any communication. It's, you've got to hear and understand right? that's you know here in a non-judgmental way just listen listen to what's happening and try and see it an extension question <laughs> how do you listen non-judgmentally oh um uh practice 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 <laughs> so, but, well I, I think the i think there's two things that, um um I find it easier the more I do. I say, but it's you know you you. I think um, the non-judgmental piece is to, is simply to say my first goal is to understand what you are saying, mm. not to react to, respond to, you know, reject, accept, judge, or you know. So I think you have to make a conscious decision. Like um, a, a typical conversation is like a card game. I think. You know, um, this is a metaphor I use. You say, okay, I've got my hand. You've got your hand. You can't see my hand. I can't see your hand. Okay, I'm going to put this piece of information down on the table. There's the ace, right? Yeah. And you have a reaction to that. You go, oh, my God, that's terrible. You know what I say? So why would you play that card kind of thing? You say, but I don't get all that. You hold that behind your poker face, right? So, and you put down your piece of information, and I react to that. So, but it's the information is, you know, you take in mine and you add some of yours and put it back, right? Then I take in yours, I add a piece of mine, put it back, right? So, so there's no actual pause in that conversation before you get the next piece of information from me, right? And if we're really listening effectively, we're not we're not playing our card, right? We're saying, I, my card's back here. I'm trying to understand what what's this card. Tell me about that card. Let me figure it out and say. Before I make any decisions about anything, before I decide what part of it, I just I want to really understand what your card is. So a, a listening conversation doesn't have my pieces added. It doesn't have my piece of the deck or my next piece of the. It's um, and I think if, when I try to stop to think about it that way, I think you have to make a conscious decision. You know, it's, it, I mean, it's totally unnatural in conversation to uh, explicitly listen. Like if you know, if I said. Um, hi Rachel, how are you today? I'm fine, Frank. How are you? Oh, I'm fine too. Thanks. Let's have a conversation. Good. My first question is X. You know, so so we're going back and forth, right? So, and imagine how crazy it would be if I said, uh, or if you said, "Hi Frank, how are you?" And I said, "Oh, you sound very interested in what I how I feel, <laughs> Rachel. You sound like it'd be, um, 
important to understand that. And I should, you know, so, but I I've love done that all that. Kind of conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but I've done all that in my head, you know, and said, oh, so I, my answer is, you know, so, or, oh, she doesn't really care. We're just passing each other on the street. So I, I'm great. Bye. Goodbye. Boom. We're done. Right. So, but all that judgment and uh, kind of thinking about what's going on there gets, you know, a nanosecond and then I, my response comes out. It's my answer to that question comes out. Right. So, and I think listening is saying, well, I'm not going to have any answers. I say, so I have to make a really conscious choice to listen and say, cause I'm going to pause all that stuff. I'm going to try and create a, a real silence in my head. Mm. Right. And I think that silence, so not listening to my inner voice saying, Oh, what's she up to or after, or what does she want in terms of information or why do I feel this way? It's a, Stealing the inner voice is the really critical because I can't listen to two things at once. I can't listen to my voice and your voice. Right? So, and so I think you have to make a really conscious choice to listen first. And then the practice of that helps you say, oh, I'm feeling a strong reaction to that. I better back away from this conversation for a minute until I get that under control and then I can come back in. Right? So, or, And that's where we get to self-awareness. Right? So uh, I'm feeling all this stuff, what's going on here. And then the self-regulation to say, well, I'm not going to jump in and say, you don't care, Rachel, how I really feel. You're just being polite or say, you know, I'm going to stop and say, ah, they say, I'm going to self-regulate around that to say, ah, you know, um, why are you asking or something? You know, I'll I'll ask a question about that, not put my judgment in about it. So, and so we get back into, I got to flow my energy in the right way. But the first piece is I'm going to create space for that conversation and be really explicit about my intention and goal is to hear what you have to say. That's a wonderful description of non-judgmental listening, um, one that I will share with my students when I talk (laughs) about it because it is a critical plank of working with people. Um, And the phrase listening to understand versus listening to respond is, the again, a prosaic way of summing up what I think I've heard you say. Um, And that's all. I mean, that you know, there's uh, Covey, you know, seven habits of highly effective people. He's got that in there about seek first to understand, not to be understood. You know, that's, you know, those are, it's yeah. A, yeah. It's a classic. And you say, and I think the interesting thing is we now know like all the neurobiology work and all the, you know, there's so much about, because none of, almost none of that is about what you're thinking. It's about how you're feeling in the situation, right? So, mm-hmm. um, and all the neurobiology work has now is demonstrating to us on a, you know, chemically and neurobiologically why these things that practitioners have known, mediation, counseling, therapy, you know, we know it works by experience of it. They say, and now we're getting kind of the framework for oh, what's actually happening inside people and what's going on and, th- you know, as, as, you know, confirmation of that practical kind of experience and knowledge and, and framework to say, ah, yeah, this is why and how it works. Right. So. Yeah. It's interesting because it goes back to the very beginning of our conversation around that exchange of energies. Yeah. We know as beings, sentient beings, yeah. um, and also when we observe other sentient beings such as animals when things are okay Um, and we don't need to analyze it but our world is so analytical and intellectual and we require this structure etc that as what i hear you saying is that science is now giving us answers to things we already knew but but we we kind of like to break it down well Breaking it down even further, this is the final question. Um, how do you draw communication to a close when you are farewelling people, saying goodbye? I'm terrible at that at parties, just so you know. <laughs> just, I never, you know, I can never break out of the one conversation and go to the next one. Right? So, um, and 
I often have um, an is there anything else? Because I find that, you know, we get through a lot of the stuff that people think we should get through and we're actually not finished, you know, and, and so I, I often have a feeling, but there's, there's something else here. There's something else I say, but so is there anything else? And actually that does a number of things in the, in the kind of conflict management context. It, you know, it, um, at an intellectual level, it requires people to think, are we finished this conversation? But so, and it requires them to say, if there's something else, I better put it on the table because I'm really be give, give, being given the opportunity here and it may not come up later. Right? So, so it creates a little bit of pressure in a way, but it, it's an open way to do it, um, to say, is there anything else I should know? Is there anything else we need to talk about? Have we covered all these things? But it also creates a commitment to end mm. so, because people then say, you know, because then it's quite easy for me to say later, or for the other party to say later, you never said anything about that when we were opening up this conversation. You know, why is it coming up now? Or, you know, is it legitimate to put it in this piece of this conversation now? Or is it something else? And then it becomes a behavior, because it becomes a behavior pattern. Then in terms of managing the conflict, we've got to have a different way to regulate and manage it, right? So, so is there anything else, I think, is a way that I begin, commence the ending of the conversation. So, and in that saying, you know, there's nothing else. And you say, okay, then are we all agreed that this is where we've got to? And, the, and so it's, it's that, it's that piece of creating agency again for people like them, they get to make those decisions themselves. You say, and then we can move into the conclusion, concluding bit of process or say, where do we go from here and set up the next bit, whatever it is. So. Right. That's beautiful. And, and what I see is a sort of spiral of communication, you know, yeah beginning middle and an end and then it just that goes into the next beginning yeah, yeah. um so in that vein frank is there anything else that you like to say <laughs> <laughs> so, oh hoisted my own petard um, <laughs> so um no i was really but i really enjoyed it it was um it was fun i think so thank you um, so. thank you yeah. it's been a wonderful conversation in this episode, Frank shared his golden truth of communication, that it all starts with listening, listening to understand what someone is really saying. My appreciation goes to Frank Handy for his time, wisdom and work, all shared with us so candidly and fully. You can read more about Frank's work via the links in the show notes and the work of others Frank mentioned in discussion including Dr. Dan Siegel's work, Stephen Covey's work, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and the musician Steve Poltz. Go well. Thank you for listening to this episode of Compelling Communicators. Thanks to Nina Humphreys for composing the music you're listening to now. See you next time.